Well, good morning, friends. I hope you're well. Uh, yes, if we've not met, my name is Charlie Salamone, lead pastor here. It's a pleasure to meet you. So today we are kicking off a new year. We're calling it the year of community. And it is it's a, one of the first words of our mission statement, as Cheryl shared. It's a word that's kind of a, um, it's kind of a buzzword in our, I almost said in our community, in our, in our world, community in the church and outside of the church, it's something we all kind of know, community is important, and I thought it would be good to kind of get a picture of what we're even talking about, like what is community, what is Christian community, and I thought to myself, well, if the Bible was arranged kind of like a textbook, you could just look it up. You could just go to the C section and find community, and there it would be. And then I thought to myself, I'm really glad the Bible isn't like that, because that'd be really boring. The Bible does not teach us in that sort of just topical, orderly way that you might find in a really boring class. Instead, the Bible, like a good teacher might do, the Bible engages our minds and brings us into a story and speaks to our heart. And in this way, we can have an understanding that not just kind of, um, not just something that we can memorize in our head, but something that our hearts can understand. And so I started asking the question, what is community? And I found myself brought into this story through the, through the millennia, actually. And I'm going to try to bring you a little bit on that today. The Bible, again, it amazes me how it intertwines with history. And you're going to see some of that today. So what is community? Um... I'm going to start by rewinding, like, I guess it'd be like, oh man, we're going to rewind like 3,000 years from now, so about 1,000 years before Jesus. Um, so David was the greatest of the Old Testament kings of Israel. But before he was King David, first he was just this boy who was pretty unknown until he killed a really big dude, and that's another story for another time, but um, there was another king at the time, King Saul, and David, uh, for a time, he was kind of friends with Saul, kind of, but then Saul started getting jealous of him, and David had to run for his life, and David, the boy, he was, well, he's probably a young man at this time, he was hiding, and he went to a place called Adullam. And if you've been with us recently, I mentioned Adullam because if you remember, uh, this would have been two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Judah, Judah went to Adullam and that's where Judah emerged as a leader. Judah was not a leader. He went to Adullam. God changed him. He became a leader. And it's interesting because it's the same city where, where David started to, where David first became a leader. So... Um, Let's jump to 1 Samuel chapter 22, beginning verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adalim. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. 
And hear this part. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So this is the first time David, the individual, the young man, became a leader. First time he had a, uh, a group, uh, perhaps a better word for today, a community. He had a community. And David, I'll tell you in advance, David was a foreshadow of Jesus. There are many things that happen in David's life that were to tell us the story of the great king who is coming after him. I told you David was the greatest king in the Old Testament. And in this way, he was a very imperfect picture of a greater king who had come. This is how the whole Bible intertwines together. So David began to be a leader of this community. So I told you the Bible doesn't just have like topics in a topical, orderly way. And if it did, um, you could look up community and get a, defini a definition of it. You can't do that with the Bible, but you can do that with, um, I don't know, Wikipedia or Google or whatever. If I was to Google what is community, you'd find that community is when people gather together with a shared identity or a shared goal, something shared. People who come together with something shared among them. And here, in this community that formed around David, which is, as you're going to see, a picture, a foretaste, a foreshadow of the community that the church would be around Jesus, this community that's gathering around David, well, they share some things in common, don't they? A community is something shared. What do they share? Uh, we read that these people, they were, they were in debt, discontented, or what does it say? Or in distress. In distress, in debt, or discontented. So they had that in common. They had that in common. We got problems. All of us, we have problems. That's one thing they had in common. Something else they had in common. David became their leader and eventually their king. What do we have in, pro in common? What do we share? What is our sense of community? We have problems together and we have a king. Um, we're going to see that, how that pertains to us because it does a lot. Uh, this is a good time for me to pray. Father God, my prayer Today, Lord, is that I could communicate you through the stories, through history, through um, your revelation, Lord. And, Lord, I want to be able to do this in a way that is evident that, that you're with me, God. Um, not just that these are my words or ideas, but that you're with me, Lord. Not for my sake, but for your sake, so that we can know that um, the truth we have is your truth, and the God we have is alive and here. So would you do that, Lord? Would you make that plain for all of us, that you are here with us? Um, you're here in this story, and give us a sense in our hearts of what, what this community that you long for is, God. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So um, what did they have in common? They were in debt, they were in distress, they were discontented. We have problems. Together we have problems and we have a king. And we're going to get to this, but when I start to think about 
what's going to happen on Wednesdays and just this church. I've heard it before said that the church is kind of like the island of misfit toys. Am I too old? Do you guys even know what that is? Everyone who's my age and older knows what it is. I don't even know if that show is still on TV anymore. Um, it's, if you don't know what it is, just, I'm going to just leave it alone for now. <laughs> but when the church gathers together, we're a group of people where we have problems. And for this reason, we are welcoming. We're humble. We have, together, we have problems. Um, but we have something else that we share. Uh, we have a king. Okay. Let's fast forward, will you? Uh, we're going to go back in history later, but we're going to fast forward now. We were, we were at 3,000 uh, 3, years ago, 1,000 B.C. Let's go to the time of Jesus because we're going to see the same thing playing out again. People are going to start to gather around Jesus in the early time of his ministry. So if we go to Luke chapter 6, beginning verse 17, it goes like this. He, Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So once more you have people coming to Jesus, and and who's coming? The people who are troubled in spirit and troubled in, in, in their body, people who want to be healed, people who are, um, people who got problems. That's always how it's been, that the people who come to Jesus are the people who have problems. Jesus actually said it that way. I think it's Luke uh, 2 or um, Mark chapter 5, I believe. Um, Jesus said... Um, I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Um, the, those who are well are not in need of a physician. And if you take that verse by itself, you might think, well, Jesus only came for the people who have problems, but I'm good, so you can do your religious thing over there, and I'll, I'll be fine over here. Um, but as we're going to see, and as the whole Bible tells us, we all have problems. Uh, we all have the greatest of our problems is sin. And for those of us who know we have sin and we know that we need help, he's there. Um, but unfortunately, as history would have it, it's often been the case that sinners, they don't want to say they're sinners. And sinners don't want to acknowledge that we need help, we need a savior. Um, but for those who would, he's there and that's what's happening. People are coming People are coming, people who are distressed, in debt, discontent, discouraged, and in distress in life, they're coming to him. And him being a king and a savior is helping them. Okay, when it comes to the Bible, sometimes when you see little things mentioned, you have to ask questions of why are you telling me this? What's significant here? Because that's going on here. There's something that seems kind of a small detail But if you start to ask questions, you get a bigger picture of what God's trying to communicate. And here it says that, so, people are coming to Jesus. People who are, um, like they gather around David, people who have problems and people who want help. They're coming to Jesus. And it says, some of the people that are coming are, are from Tyre and Sidon. And that might, again, seem like just like a 
not a big deal, but those cities, those are kind of like twin cities. Um, those cities, there's a lot of significance there. It means something. If you go back in your Bible in the Old Testament, a lot of the prophets had a lot of things to say about these cities, Tyre and Sidon. And well, uh, what's, what's the lesson here? Um, so what can we say about these Tyre and Sidon? They are cities that are now in the land of Lebanon. Uh, I talked to a couple of our church family members this morning who uh, have been there, um, Roger and Fadia, and uh, they traveled there, I imagine, by, by car, not taking a bridge, because um, Tyre, I guess in the uh, Arabic is Surh. Did I get that right? Surh. Something like that. Um, uh, Tyre and Sidon, these twin cities that are now in Lebanon. Um, you can travel there. You don't need a boat because Tyre is not an island. It's a peninsula. It goes out into the sea. But it used to be an island. And that's very interesting. And you're going to see why. Is, uh, where do I begin? Um, Tyre, it's mentioned in Isaiah in Jeremiah, in Joel, in Amos, in Zechariah, and especially in Ezekiel. Uh, Tyre was where um, Jezebel came from. If you guys know who Jezebel is, she, is, uh, she, was, a, she was a bad queen. And Tyre, uh, Tyre and Sidon were cities that were known for being bad. Um, they're spoken of by Jesus along in the same breath of speaking about uh, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, two other twin cities, cities that uh, destruction came upon. Um, so they were kind of used almost as an example of, of that, of times that God over, overthrew a city. And so they were prophesied a lot in the Old Testament, like I told you, and I'm going to try to bring you into a little bit of a story regarding these cities, and, and perhaps we'll understand why Luke is telling us that people were coming from Tyre and Sidon to get help by Jesus. So uh, Tyre, like I told you, it's off the coast of what is now Lebanon. It used to be an island about a kilometer or so out into sea, and if you were to go there, um, when it was still an island, if you were to go there, um, you would have to, of course, travel by boat. And as you started to get close, you would see um, tall walls all around, all around the island. Tall walls with beautiful banners of purple and blue, which was uh, the color of royalty, and actually, it's you can Google it. There's a color called Tyranian blue, or I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but Tyranian blue or Tyranian purple, because this very, very expensive dye came from Tyre, and this dye to make this royal purple color. Apparently, I think I read this on Wikipedia, 
It takes about 12,000 snails to make one gram of this dye. Uh, this dye is extremely expensive, and that's why it was the color of royalty. You needed a lot of money to have something purple. And if you go to Tyre, there was a lot of purple. Because Tyre, this island of Tyre, was super, super rich. They were rich and they were secure. And so as if you got in a boat and you started going there, you would see banners of blue and purple. And you would see all along the wall, the walls, like the whole island had these tall walls that went all around it right up to the shore. And covering the wall, you can read about all this in Ezekiel chapter 27. It, it paints a picture. There would be these shields everywhere. And these shields are from all the different nations of people who this super rich island of Tyre has hired to come and be their soldiers. And so it's a beautiful picture you can imagine because these shields are of gold and silver and bronze and such and, and the colors. And once you enter the gates of the city, that's when things really come alive. So in the U.S., there's a store. It's kind of a chain store. I don't know if they have them here in Canada. Uh, there's a store called the World Market. And I love going to the World Market because in the World Market, they have all these goods from, like, all over the world. And then they have a huge food section with all sorts of, like, ingredients from all over the world. And, like, there's all these, like, colors and smells and just things that you don't see other places. And it's beautiful. And if you read Ezekiel chapter 27, it sounds like this is a place that I would really like to visit. It describes Tyre and what it was like. It talks about, like, 50 different nations and how the people from these different nations would come and they would bring, they would bring whatever they had. The, the, uh, it, the passage starts out and it says in Ezekiel 27, Tyre, perfect in beauty in the high seas, your builders brought your beauty to perfection. Um, they made all your timbers of juniper from Sinir. They took cedar from Lebanon, oaks from Bashan, cypress wood from the coast of Cyprus, uh, fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, and it served as your banner. Your awnings were of blue and of purple. And it goes on and on. Um, it talks about gold from Sheba, silver from Tarshish, bronze from Greece, and like honey, olive oil, wine, ivory tusks, rubies, emeralds, all these different um, luxuries that were brought from all over the world you would find in Tyre. So it was like this beautiful, beautiful city I would really love to visit. And actually, uh, when, I, when I was reading Ezekiel 27 and thinking about Tyre, I had to think about how, like, this kind of sounds like Montreal. Like, I love Montreal because something that I've found in Montreal that I don't have uh, in the city of Wisconsin where I came from is all of this culture from so many peoples from all over the world. Montreal is so beautiful because you have all these peoples that brought all their beautiful cultures here. And it's, um, it's wonderful. So uh, what's the problem? Is there a problem with culture and beauty and luxuries and gold and silver and 
um, fragrances and spices and colors? No, there's not a problem with that. That was all God's idea. Um, Genesis chapter 2. He made a beautiful world. Um, and he made it full of flavors and smells and tastes and, and pleasures. And he did that for us so we would know who he is. Um, God is a... Is a um, he's an amazing, creative God. There's no problem there. Um, but for sinners, there is a risk when it comes to beauty and riches. What does it say about Tyre? What happened? Um, Tyre, perfect in beauty in the high seas. What's the problem? Uh, it says it. It says, you have increased your wealth, and because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. Um, so that's what happened to Tyre and Sidon. Super rich, and they became proud. So what is pride? Because that's a word that we, I feel like we kind of know that it's not good. But I think in our minds, when it comes to like biblical pride, we can perhaps get the wrong impression. So one of the great themes that encompasses the whole Bible is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, meaning undeserved kindness to the humble. That, that's a theme that you can truly see throughout the whole Bible. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we think about pride, we often think about arrogance, haughtiness, which makes sense. Or you have someone who's just a jerk. That's pride. We don't want that. But you got to be a little more careful when it comes to how the Bible sees pride. Because the Bible sees pride in relation to God. And I could say it this way. Pride is self-sufficiency. Meaning, pride is the attitude that says... I don't need God. I don't need him. I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. You other people in debt, in distress, discontent, you might need him. I don't need him. I'm doing all right. And because of the luxuries and the security, the tall walls that surround Tyre, they started to feel that they didn't need him. They didn't need God. And it's very interesting because as you keep reading, so Ezekiel has a lot to say about, about these cities, Tyre and Sidon. And as you keep reading, at some point you realize, he's talking about the king of Tyre. And at some point you realize he's not talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Um, he's talking about, about the devil himself. At some point he's, it, it speaks about, I don't know if I wrote it down here, um, uh, it, it basically, I think it's Ezekiel 27 or, or 28, where it says, you were in the garden. You were a cherub. You were an angel, um, a beautiful angel. And, and in the garden, meaning like the Garden of Eden, there's, you can go back and read it yourself. There's more said there. But the idea is this mentality, this mindset, I don't need God. That is the very voice that is the spirit of the devil. And if you go back to, the, again, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, that was 
what the devil was encouraging. You can be like God, meaning you won't need him. You can be your own God, your own king, your own Lord. You can sit on your own throne without anyone to bow down before. That was, that's what the devil leads people in. And so he's saying that mentality, that's where it was coming from. So what happened to Tyre? It, 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 had, it had secure walls. It was an island, like I told you. And it had walls going right up the coast. History is so interesting. So like I told you, all these prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, Zechariah, and especially Ezekiel, they all were in agreement. Tyre, Sidon, your day is coming. Like, you're going to fall. You're going to be overthrown. Proud, secure, rich Tyre. It's going to fall. And so what happened with Tyre, Joshua, Tyre was actually promised to the tribe of Asher as part of the inheritance, part of the promised kingdom. Tyre was promised, but when Joshua, so this is the, the, the um, uh, well, in the Old Testament, a number of books, Joshua, the disciple of Moses, uh, when Joshua was conquering, um, he tried to take Tyre, and he couldn't. And he just left it alone, so it did not become part of the the promised land of Israel. Uh, years later, the Assyrians, when they were raging war all over, you know, the, uh, the, the Middle East, four times they tried to take Tyre. And four times they couldn't. Too secure. When the walls go right up to shore and they got all the, the soldiers hired from all around the world shooting arrows and such at you, they couldn't do it. Nebuchadnezzar, he's very well known. Um, he conquered the ancient world in the name of Babylon. The Bible talks about him. For 13 years, he tried to conquer Tyre. For three years, he sieged it. 13 years. And guess what? He couldn't do it. Too powerful. Eventually, he gave up, and he, and he made some sort of deal with them. And it's a, something you see in the Bible, but it's a phrase. I'm not sure if it comes from the Bible or not. Someone can message me and let me know. Uh, pride comes before a fall, doesn't it? Uh, pride, it, it can go to your head. And so because they were so secure for so long and they felt so confident, well, that confidence eventually became their downfall because some centuries later, Alexander the Great, who uh, rose up quite quickly and began conquering the world, and this is another sermon for another time, but Alexander the Great was prophesied very clearly um, in the book of Daniel. Daniel had some very specific things to say about Alexander the Great, so specific that skeptics will look at the book of Daniel and say Daniel could not have been written when it claims to be written because its prophecies are too correct when it comes to what happened regarding Alexander the Great conquering the world, even though the writing style is from the time period that Daniel actually wrote the book of Daniel. But that is another sermon for another time. Alexander the Great, some centuries after Nebuchadnezzar, he started conquering the world, and he sent some ambassadors over to Tyre by the boat, you know, and said, hey, you probably heard about me. I'm Alexander the Great. 
um, you should probably uh, uh, listen to me, right? Um, well, what did the secure, prideful people of Tyre do with the ambassadors of Alexander the Great? Killed them and threw them over the walls. He thought to himself, we were able to keep Nebuchadnezzar out for all this time. Well, well, that did not work out well. Alexander the Great, by the age of 30, conquered the known world. He was a smart man, and he did not do what Nebuchadnezzar did and tried to take them by boat. Instead, he started, <laughs> he started pouring dirt on the ground in the ocean um, and started putting more dirt on the ground in the ocean. And he started building for himself a little road to this island. And uh, if you look on a map today, Tyre's not an island. Because over the centuries, that road that Alexander the Great built, um, it start, you know, sediment and stuff builds up. And now Tyre is just a peninsula. But it was an island. Alexander the Great... He went over there, and the brutality which he laid on the city is historic. And I don't even want to talk about it, but the walls of Tyre fell. Um, the pride of, of Tyre was, it was, it was brought down. And the fulfillment of God's many prophecies can be seen from Google Maps. Tyre, the island, is no longer an island. Um, so all that to say... Um, you know, you, you actually read, you read the prophecy about um, Tyre in Ezekiel 26, 27, 28, and this is how it ends. Um, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. When I gather the people of Israel from the nations where they have been scattered, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of the nations. Then they will live in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live there in safety, and I will build houses and plant vineyards. They will live in safety when I inflict punishment on all their neighbors who malign them, then they will know that I am the Lord their God. There's this phrase like throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, they will know that I am God. Like that is God's great mission. It's, it's when, I, when I prayed earlier, it's like my prayer is like, God, let it be evident that your spirit is with us. Let, be, let it be evident that you are here. Let us know you. That is the great call of God and the great mission that he has is to gather for himself a special people out of the world where he's saying, I'm going to gather my people, Israel, from the nations where they have been scattered. So you have people from Tyre and Sidon coming to Jesus. People, this idea that God's gathering his people from all the nations coming. Do you guys know what the word church means? Literally, in the Greek, the word church, it means called out ones. Like God is calling his people. We're, we're, you see this picture painted of a world, a world that lives content in self-sufficiency. And you have this picture of a Savior who comes to help and a world that's not interested in the help that the Savior offers. A world that's interested in the help of a city like Tyre. Tyre did business with, with all the world. That's the sort of help we want. We want the help of riches and luxury. But the help of a Savior who can unite us to God, the help of a Savior who can heal 
our sicknesses, most notably the sicknesses of our heart that are that that long for things that are not God, and we make those things our God. Hearts that are that are prone to idolatry, meaning we put other things above God in our lives. That's what it means to be a sinner, by the way. We put other things above God to satisfy us. Sinners who live that way, we don't want him coming and interfering. Um, let's go back to Jesus, and I'll, I'll say more of this, because you're going to see Jesus. You have the people from Tyre coming, and Jesus is speaking, and he's going to say something that I hope is going to bring this together, the things that I've been trying to say. Looking at his disciples, he said, Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how your, their ancestors treated the false prophets. So Jesus is speaking, and this, this, is, this is a version of, of what we call the Beatitudes, and it's meaning like the characteristics of the people who are blessed, the characteristics of the people who are considered blessed by God and who the future will prove to be blessed by the things that unfold. So this is what categorizes them. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Um, <clears throat> Tyre was super rich, but I told you the problem wasn't their money and their luxuries and, and their and, and, and the wonderful things they had. And in the same way, when the scriptures speak about blessed are you who are poor, it's not talking about specifically like financial material poverty. That's not actually what it's referring to. King David, who was very rich, in his Psalms that he would wrote, he would often say, I am poor and needy. The idea of being poor, um, Matthew's version of the Beatitudes, which is, um, says very similar things, says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, which captures the idea. Um, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Once more, you can see the contrast in the pride of Tyre, but I, I'll share a, a story with you that I might have shared before because it, it's just something that I think about from time to time. Um, I have a family member who, uh, you know, lives back in Wisconsin, and I was talking with her about just, you know, the faith that I have, the hope that I have, and it, I was very saddened, very saddened uh, when her response to it all was, I just like my life the way that it is. I just like things the way that they are. And that so much captures, I, I say this 
sadly. So it captures the essence of not being poor in spirit. Um, I'm, I'm satisfied with my life without Jesus. I like things the way they are. And oh, um, this once more is a theme that interwines through the whole Bible. Mary's song, if you remember, um, the song that she would sing, um, he's, he's, he has given... He's given much to the poor. I'm getting the words wrong. He's, he's given much to the poor, but he's, he's, he has sent the rich away hungry. It's a theme that just, you see it over and over again. Um, those who in their spirit can say, I, I need help. I have problems. He's there for. He's there to be a savior. He's there to help. This is such good news for some. And, and, and for others, it could be good news, but it isn't. I mean, that's just when Jesus says, blessed are you, he also says, woe are you. Um, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, who, who can say and, and often do say in themselves, like, Lord, I need you. I need you internally. I'm broken. I am sick. I need you externally. I have problems that I don't know how to fix. You are my only hope. People in spiritual debt in distress, discontent, he is there for, he is so ready to be their God. If that's not you, if you're satisfied with your life the way it is without him, I would, I would urge you to turn from that because uh, for those that stay in that mindset, this is not good news. Um, it's bad news. Whoa. Um, you're, you're content, you're not going to be. Um, the comfort you have, that's, that's all the comfort you're going to have. I mean, that's what, what Jesus is speaking. And so, oh, actually, here's something. Um, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hunger now, for you will be satisfied. The kingdom of God, a time to be satisfied. A time to be satisfied in the kingdom of God for those who are not self-sufficient, for those who are broken, for the, for the little children who look to God like a little child looks to a parent just saying, help me. Um, that's what it means to come to God like a little child. And Jesus said, um, it's the only way to enter the kingdom is as a little child. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is as a little child who is needy, who says, I need you, help me. So a question that could be asked is, when does this help come? When does this kingdom come? This desire to be satisfied, when does it happen? And someone might say, well, it happens when Jesus returns. And that is, that's true. When Jesus returns and the kingdom of God is in its completeness, um, finished, we will be satisfied, we will be helped, we will enter the kingdom of God. But that answer that the kingdom of God is coming later is incomplete. It's true, but the great good news that I have, that I hope you've come to discover yourself, is that the satisfaction, the kingdom, has also arrived. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Acts chapter 2, the great coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured down 
on the earth, the message that was given was repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's what I've, I've been saying. If you've been living a life content, self-sufficient, the word from Jesus is repent, is turn from that and say, God, heal me from this self-sufficiency because he can heal even from that. He can heal your pride. If the sickness you have is self-sufficiency and pride, good news. You don't have to leave empty-handed. Even that he can heal. And the message was turn from that. Turn from that and turn to God because you too need a savior. And the promise is for you. And the promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is this taste of the kingdom of God. This foreshadow of the kingdom of God. And so what you read in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given. And what happens? The people start gathering together. Community. What is community? Community is when people gather together with something shared. And as a church, we come together because this is what we share. We're sinners. We got problems, right? We have that in common. We have a king, a savior, one who helps us. We have that in common. There's something else we share. We share one spirit, one spirit among us who lives in us together. And when we gather together, that's when we taste this spirit more than ever. Um, last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, after church, uh, one of you came to me and said, uh, what I feel when I come here, I love it. But I, I, I go through on my week and sometimes it kind of fades away. I, I need more of it. How can I be more involved? And, and my heart was just so touched by that because it's like, you get it. You understand. That's why I'm so excited about these All Are Welcome Wednesdays because it's another time for us to gather. Um, times in my life when I have fallen into the error of Tyre when I've found myself content without God, content with just my stuff and my, 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 my luxuries, when I found myself content, I never really wanted to go to church, right? Those are the times when being around God's people just wasn't really important to me. But when I was in touch, the times in my life when I'm in touch with my neediness, like I'm a broken person who needs God's spirit, it's those times when being around God's people is healing and nourishment and life. And so when we speak about the community that we want to see, this year community, and the, the, the vision that I have for just an outpouring of life on Wednesday nights, I understand that to some people that's just not going to sound very alluring. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to do a little soul searching and ask yourself why. Maybe you just don't have a vision of what we want this to be. So let me, let me just close by painting it for you. People gathering together, people who have problems, people who are hungry, spiritual hungry. But people who know that there is a hope. There's a savior, there's a king. And when we come together, we experience him, we taste him. We're gonna eat food, we're gonna eat physical food, but even more together, 
we're going to share and experience. We're going to experience this shared spirit that we have among us. Um, that's, that's my longing. That's my longing for us as a church, but that's my longing for this Wednesday nights to be. And when someone on the outskirts, when someone comes from Tyre or Sidon, someone who comes because they've heard about it, someone who comes from, from out of the world, they've been invited to this, and they think to themselves, you know what, I have problems. Maybe, maybe this will be good for me. Um, I, I need community in my life. I've been rather lonely lately. When they come, they see there is something here. There is a power here. There is a life here. I want to be part of it. And because we're a people who we recognize that we have problems, sinners from Tyre and Sidon and such, they feel welcome and they feel at home. You have problems? Oh, you're going to fit right in. Uh, you're a sinner? Uh, this is the perfect place for you. That's what we are. <laughs> but we also have a hope and we also have a healer and one who forgives us of our sins and heals us from all of our diseases. And, um, well, that's, my, that's, that's what my hope is for community. Father God, let that be, be true. Let us have more of that vision. Um, and, and Lord, let us, when we gather together, let us actually taste you. Let us experience you. Help us turn from our self-sufficiency and let us experience true sufficiency in you. And we ask this in your name, amen. Well, we are going to just do one question. Um, you're going to see on the screen, for those of you who have kids in kids' ministry from kindergarten to grade four, we're asking you to go and get them. And the reason why we do that is because we really believe that kids are an important part of our church family. And we want them to come back and experience worship with us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ to experience um, the things that we, we do in, in the service. Um, today there's none of this happening, but sometimes baptisms or communion, um, we want them to be able to come and see that, but then also for you as parents to be able to explain and have conversations with your kids about what we do at church and why. So that's why that's happening. Um, and so we're just going to do one question today. And do we have a roving mic? Yes. Okay. Is there any question in the room? If you would just shoot your hand up. Oh, we got one over here. Let's Mr. Roger, the, the, tire. the tire expert. <laughs> that sounds funny. <laughs> the tire expert. You have to like specify which tire. My wife said it's Lebanese tire, not Canadian tire. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, actually, it's not a it's not a question. It's a command. Just to let you know, I was just talking to my sister, and there is uh, in Sidon. In Sidon, one of the biggest refugees camps in Lebanon for Palestinians, there is like actual war right now. So it's funny you mentioned that. Maybe we need to pray for... Yeah, that for, sounds wonderful. Yeah. And you know what? That's one of the lessons that we see here in the sense of like Tyre and Sidon, they were cities that the people of Israel despised. And the fact that people were coming from Tyre and Sidon, it shows the heart of God, isn't it? For the nations, for the people that others look down on. He is near to the brokenhearted, and if there's refugees, that's exactly the, the place that we find him. We find him working, and we often, so when it comes to material wealth, like I told you, material wealth in itself, it's not a problem, but it can trick us, can it? Uh, when people are materially 
comfortable, a lot of the times it can keep you from seeing the fact that spiritually you're in poverty. But a lot of the times um, among the poor and the refugees, people who know materially that they have problems, it can make you more aware to the spiritual problems. Um, so we do, we just, it's just something that you see. God is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to the poor. And so that, that's just, I think that's a great way to, to end the service today or, or at least to, to, to lead into a song that I just think is going to be perfect. Um, Father God, thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. You are, uh, you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, I pray for the many people who are suffering now and seated and side on. And Lord, just like you are calling people then, Lord, we believe that you're calling people now. And I just pray that you would be sending, sending your missionary, sending your spirit, sending your hope to those without hope. Um, and that they would be able to see what a great God you are and the sufficiency that lies in you, the happiness that lies in you, Lord joy and riches and luxury greater greater than can be found within the walls of Tyre um, and, a, and a treasure that, that does not fade Lord we need you God, we need you help us trust you Lord and help us know we need you and help us discover that, that you're there God, you're there for us Lord we pray this in your name, Amen